What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your concert reviews, show photos, so much more going on over there, and so much going on over there. Is Daniel Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. And here's the cool thing about Metal Nexus. If you click and like and share their stuff, they'll send you $1,000. Just trust me on this. You got the $1,000, too? Yeah, yeah, totally. The sign-up bonus? Yeah, they'll just give you $1,000 if you do a podcast. And if not, then uh, you need to hit up uh, BJ Rowe. Uh, he is the guy who will give you those checks. He'll make them out to cash if you want, money orders, fucking cashier's checks, anything you need. Dude is literally just like, he eats, breathes, and shits money. I think he's hemorrhaging money at this point. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Roll into my bank account, but don't tell him that. He doesn't know that yet. Yeah, that's on the uh, Metal Nexus credit card, right? Totally. You didn't get one of those? I didn't, but uh, you're going to buy me that new uh, Knock Loose vinyl, right? Yeah, absolutely. I already have like all the variants, all like 33 variants of it. Oh, cool. Sweet. That record is that record is straight fire, by the way. Oh my god, is it so fucking good? Oh my god, dude. Did you see the Bernie have you seen the Bernie Sanders uh photo that got taken in front <laughs> of like, that billboard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're like, so here's a photo just in case you wanted this in your life, here's a photo of Bernie Sanders standing in front of a knock loose billboard. Okay, so straight up, uh, since we're talking about that, and I, I didn't think we were going to, nor had a, a clever way to segue into it, uh, so I hit a Biggie, because uh, he is Knock Loose's manager, yeah. and he posted that photo initially, and that's where I saw it, it was on his Instagram uh, story or something, and so I commented, I was like, limited edition merch, hardcore style shirt on the back with that as the logo, and it says, feel the burn, and then he was like, maybe, and I go, I want a free, if you do it, I want one for free for the quote-unquote idea. <laughs> two, you want two for free. Yeah, well, we'll you gotta get see the, if I John, John, you gotta get in the mindset of always saying two. I didn't know this is another marriage where I needed to do that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You should have really checked the paperwork before I signed on here. Oh, okay. Well, where are my means vinyl? Actually, the the last time he didn't send me any means vinyl. He just sent me the CDs. Oh, well, where's mine? He doesn't have any extra ones. That was like his last copy. Oh, okay, okay, so I have to say this. Can I say this? I hope I can say this. Say uh, Aaron, Aaron, I'm so sorry. So, okay, so I posted, because I was really excited when I got the CDs in the mail, and because uh, he had mentioned he had mentioned on the interview that he'd send me the CDs, and uh, and we left it in there, so like, you, no, no take backs, you know? And, <laughs> uh, but the funny, the funny part is, is uh, this dude who's like a super fan, I posted on the Facebook group that is the Facetown Records Appreciation Fan Club, or whatever it's called, I'm on it, I should know what it's called. But uh, I posted on there like, oh, I got these really sweet CDs uh, from Aaron, and I, ta I I tagged him in it. And then this dude posts right underneath it, and he's all like, well, he shows me like all of his mean shit. And he's like, literally, I have all the albums on vinyl. He's like, I've got the variants. He's like, I've got all the CDs. He goes, but I don't have those two CDs. How can I get a hold of those? And Aaron's just like, uh, yeah, I sent Dan like all I had. <laughs> like, I didn't have anything else. And I was like, "Oh shit!" Now I feel terrible, and I and I even told the guy, "I was like, look, if it makes you feel any better, dude, you like you you have way more shit than I have." So what you should do is trade him those two for everything he's got. See how much it really is worth to him. I I should have done that, but like I'm okay. So contrary to the joke I made earlier about the knock loose variants, I am not a variant buyer. Like I don't care. Like I don't care that much. Like even even like with a band like Zayo, who I love, I don't have to have every single colored vinyl that they have. As long as I have a copy of the recording in some fashion, like that's good enough for me. 
but this guy, this guy had it all. He had like the black versions, the variant versions. He had uh, he had different versions of the CDs and everything. And I was just like, "Fuck, man!" Like I, now, I don't now I don't feel like I deserve it. Like I thought I was a huge Means fan, and then I meet this guy, and I'm like, "Fuck, he's this guy's got it all." I felt the I felt the worst for Aaron out of all of that. He's like, "Fuck, I just did this interview, and now Dan's making me awkward." Did you send him the records? I did not send him the records. I, I probably would have. I'm a greedy. I'm a greedy asshole. I guess. I I really am. Because it's just one of those like these are, <laughs> these are independent releases from the band that were not widely dis- distributed, and I have a huge hard on for stuff like that. <laughs> um. All of that aside, every all those side tangents we went on that I had no. None clue of that has anything to do with dope or the murder dolls or misfits or anything. Actually, you know what? I guess it kind of does because I mean, like we're talking about you know variants and and the the hardcore fandomness of something either in knock loose of something that's new and, and just kind of exciting and something that's happening now to even talking about means, which is something that you know is a band that has long been defunct, but there are still people who are actively collecting all of their stuff because they're that big of a fan. I think that encapsulates very much what AC Slate is doing between dope, misfits, and even talking quite a bit about Murder Dolls. Murder Dolls hasn't existed in any capacity for 15 years or so. Right. But anytime any fans get a hold of anything Murder Dolls related, the fanaticism is still there to show that those fans are so diehard. And I think going to the Static X show, you see that there are still fans who love dope. There are, obviously, with misfits doing what they're doing, a fuckload of people love the Misfits enough to sell out some of the biggest arenas in the U.S. You wouldn't think so either, like because it's weird. Every single time I'm listening to Misfits, and like the average person walks by, they're like, "What the fuck are you listening to?" Yeah. Well, I mean, the weird thing is, they collectively think about this. So there's obviously the, something that's always struck me because typically in the day and age now, where there's you know like uh, what is it? Uh, you know, you have various bands that are split in two, where it's like, oh, here's you know Entombed, Entombed AD. So you have different iterations of the same band, but the members couldn't agree on a name, how to split things. So they go off and do their own thing, and now you have two bands that are basically the same playing a lot of the same catalog. Um, But all that aside, it's funny to think about how Danzig would sell certain size rooms. Then you get the Misfits either, you know, with a... Fuck, why can't I think of the guy's name? Uh, the Michael Graves. So you would have the Michael Graves era of Misfits, and, and they were doing decent-sized rooms and so forth, and then Misfits, basically with Jerry and Doyle, uh, would play certain, you know, rooms. But, you know, everyone always like, oh, it wasn't the Misfits anymore because it doesn't have Glenn and all this kind of stuff. There's a, there's a certain era of the band that just, you know, attaches to what fans think of when they think of that band. And so it's funny that separately these two two entities couldn't play rooms half the size of what they're doing altogether. Even though one of them was going out with the name that's out there now. So it's just it's interesting to see that getting a collection a, a small collection actually only two people really at cuz I don't think Doyle is an original member, I don't think. I don't know. That's it frustrates me that I don't know that. I'm not the admittedly I'm not the biggest Misfits fan, so I, I don't really know. But I just always assume based on how the uh wording is on on the show flyers where it's like, you know, original singer, you know, Glenn Danzig, original bassist, you know, Jerry only. I'm trying to see if he was an original member though. I, I need to know this. Uh Doyle, uh nineteen eighty. So technically not an original member, but close to fuck enough. I was gonna say close enough. It's like Zayo. It's like Zayo, dude. Like 
Yeah, Scott Mellinger hasn't been in the band since the very beginning, but he might as well be. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just it's just interesting to see that Misfits now, collectively, between three people, two of which are original members and all that kind of stuff, are playing, like, Madison Square Garden, playing Riot Fest, selling, helping sell out these massive places well in advance. Uh, so, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see. Um, all of that aside, AC, you know, was really fun to talk to. There's a lot about him that is, is interesting to chat about. I mean, between his time in Murder Dolls, uh, I mean, we didn't get to talk about this at all, but his time in Joan Jett, uh, obviously playing with Dope, in and out of Dope. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a question I was actually going to ask. Actually, I'll, I'll save that for when we talk about it in the outro. But uh, no, I think uh, you know we rambled about other shit for a little bit there. So how about we just get into my interview with AC? Uh, it's a little bit long, uh, and we will talk to you in the outro. check there or no you're good i got everything all pre-set up before cool should i be completely pretentious and put my, my sunglasses oh uh, you on? totally can if you want yeah let me do that i'll, I'll be pretentious <laughs> there we go how's that good I can hide the bags under my eyes <laughs> what do you mean you don't sleep actually i got some good sleep last night yeah 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 we, we had a day off yesterday i was gonna say did you guys roll in early yeah yeah we had a day off and uh yeah i got uh, yesterday was actually the perfect day off got up and ate uh Chick-fil-A, which I hate them as a company, but damn, I love their chicken. Is it that good? It is. It I've is that been. good. Oh my God, it's so good. But I hate them as a company. I hate everything they stand for, and I don't even eat meat anymore. But it was a day off. I had to have some Chick-fil-A. So I had some Chick-fil-A, went to the gym, went to the movies, went to sleep. What'd Perfect you see? Day. I saw The Dead Don't Die. I don't think I've seen a trailer for that. What is, Probably what is that because it's terrible and they should bury the movie. <laughs> Rather than bury the zombies in the movie, they should just bury the movie. Oh wait, wait, wait! Is that that like superstar movie that has like a bunch of like famous people in it? It does. Okay, I have. I did. I thought the name sounded familiar. Yeah, it's a zombie. And so it's not movie. that good. It's terrible. It's not even like Tremors esque, where it's like kind of funny on purpose. It's like I don't even know. Like I thought it was just going to be dry humor, which is okay. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, really, if you have Iggy Pop as a zombie eating someone's guts <laughs> and drinking coffee. In the first 15 minutes of the movie, where can it go from there? Only down. It's true. Not here to have you talk about horror movies, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, Which I could. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, one of my favorites, I actually just recently re-saw uh, Phantasm in 4K oh, when they remastered so it. Yeah, yeah. And we, a friend of mine and I took his wife, who had never seen the movie, and we were talking it up. And then when we ended up leaving the theater, he was like, I remember it being much better than I was like, oh, you haven't seen it in a long time then. He goes, no, I probably haven't seen it since I was a kid. I was like, oh, no, it it's kind of terrible now and as you get older you're just like like stuff isn't really explained all that well and you know the cuts that are in the movie don't quite make sense and i was like but it's still a great movie for just how fucked it is like as a whole like the the tall man and the little like ewok people and this alternate dimension that they show you but they don't ever explain right like it's awesome in that regard and then obviously two three and uh four now i guess they've released a new one but i was like you know it's had a lot of fond memories of watching that in like Hotel Hell with my dad and stuff growing up. So it's like I has sentimental value to me. Of course. But we uh, are sitting here with AC Slade of Dope, of the Misfits, of 
God, how many other bands are you in at this point? A lot. <laughs> Joan, uh, you were in Joan Jet for a little bit. That's correct, yeah. And uh, Murder Dolls. Murder Dolls, yeah. And uh, we're here in Garden Rapids. You're getting ready to play on the Static X tour. It's 20 years of Wisconsin Death Rip, which is kind of a trip to say that. I remember when that record came out. And uh, kind of wanted to first start off. Um, you guys just announced Madison Square Garden for the Misfits. Yeah, that's correct. How does it feel? I mean, I know you've played some pretty incredible places so far on this this run of shows what does it mean to play such a legendary venue with one of the most iconic punk bands of all time that should have never gotten to that level yeah yeah um well you know i mean those guys built the house and i'm just on the couch so to speak you know uh but nevertheless it's i'm certainly proud to have that achievement but you know some days you're the bug some days you're the windshield you know today we're at the <laughs> intersection and one day you'll be at madison square garden and you know next day it might be at some other place you know it's it's i mean on one hand i'm extremely proud of it and on the other hand i'm kind of unfazed you know you had talked about on and i might get the the podcast name wrong so forgive me but you had talked on i think it's the the rock to recovery yeah, yeah, podcast. yeah. Uh-huh. uh you had talked about how you had played the forum out in la and then like the next day we're just kind of wandering around in the outskirts and found a homeless person with a misfits tattoo that was kind of you know talking about the band and so forth and you were just kind of talking about that duality of like i just played like you know one of these large arenas in in the u.s and i'm hanging out with a homeless person and it, it still kind of all fits because it's kind of that punk rock mentality yeah so you know kind of having going from one extreme to the other being a misfits fan like you are and have been what does it mean to you to be able to bring these shows to fans that never thought they would see this band back together again well like i said it's it's more about uh Jerry and Glenn than it is about me, you right. know. But you know, me being a fan, I just feel like I mean, we did the first show and I'm standing there on stage and I felt like I was like watching the show as a fan. And all of a sudden, I look down and there's a guitar in my hands and I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm here too, <laughs> you know. Because a lot of the a lot of this interview is going to kind of be wrapped around nostalgia. With performing some of these songs that I would assume you have been a part of your life for as long as they have, and to be able to perform them for thousands and thousands of people what is the do you feel a great sense of a great sense of like i have to perform like i know obviously being a professional musician uh-huh. you've had to step into some really interesting jobs and, and that's what it is you're basically a hired gun at times to perform the job because you have the best skills or you know a, a variety of other things that people want in their guitar player or bass player or whatever but with something like this do you feel like there's more i have to be at a higher level because of the expectation that the fans have of what this is supposed to be no because it, it, to me it's it's my, my first job is to do uh, a job for glenn jerry and doyle so to me i i don't even think about that because i'm concerned about how those three feel do you know what I mean? Because really they're the ones that, that are connecting with the fans more so than I am. So I have to provide a, a, I have to do a job or lay down a foundation that makes them feel comfortable. And then uh, from there, then they can put it through to the fans. So yeah, I don't, I don't really think about that too much. I, I feel like I'm playing more for, for those three guys than I am for the crowd if that makes any sense. It does. It just almost makes it seem like you're full of shit. Because, <laughs> like, if you were to explain that to someone, they'd be like, yeah, but, like, you're playing to the people that are on your sta- on stage with you. Yeah, but, yeah. like, to think about the the magnum opus kind of, I think like, about what it, it really means. Like, like, I think about it afterwards, you know. And, and I think part of that, too, has to do with, 
don't, not, not stage fright or anxiousness or anxiety. I don't know what, what quite the right word is, but it definitely, for me, like kind of helps me take it down a notch. Like I sometimes almost feel like I'm in the studio with those guys okay. and that like everybody else is watching us from a, like a fishbowl. And then afterwards, like when, you know, at the very end when, when I'm throwing out picks or whatever, then it kind of sinks in. You know what I mean? Uh, kind of switching up gears because I've wanted to actually have you on this podcast for a little while to talk about photography. Oh, yeah. Because initially when I started this podcast, I wanted to have people on that were known for the thing they do, which is typically music, but talk about their ancillary passions. Sure. And I know photography has been something you've been very passionate about for a very long time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, even in reading Randy Bly's book, uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you were there the day he got out, like when he made it back home to meet up with him at the airport, weren't you? Uh, I don't think I was there that day, but I was there with him uh, the, the days leading up to him leaving to go. Okay. Um, maybe I was. Well, um, I just remember vaguely there being a comment about how you and him were going around shooting various things yeah. and so forth and how you two have formed a, a fast friendship through your love of photography yeah. and going around and shooting various things and so forth. So maybe I kind of had made up that you were there when you weren't, but I do know that the the friendship and relationship sure. has been built through photography sure. in addition to obviously probably yeah. just being in the industry and so forth. But, you know, something I kind of wanted to ask and, you know, it kind of hit me yesterday when I was listening to that Rock to Recovery podcast and and I don't know if I've ever thought about it this way but I tend to find that a lot of band people who have gotten sober over the years tend to really dive into photography you look at Nikki Six mm. as a great example Randy mm-hmm. Bly a great example as well and a lot of these people dive so far into photography and capture really beautiful image whether it be just you know street life or mm-hmm. building like architecture and so forth and it kind of makes me wonder do you feel like maybe it's a thing where because of some of the memories you may have had during your periods of, you know, abusing alcohol or whatever, that you don't have those memories, you don't have those experiences, that you're trying to capture lost memories, per se? No, I don't think it's that. I think I think it's a couple things. I think, one, uh, once you stop partying, you have a lot more time on your hands, that's for sure. Uh, there's that. Uh, the other thing, too, is your, your create creativity wakes up. I mean, a lot of people... Uh, tend to kind of slag off people like, oh, they were better when they were fucked up. And yeah, I liked Aerosmith's old stuff way better too. But um, you can't deny that, that Steven Tyler's singing better than ever. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there could be a lot of various reasons for that. You also have to remember that Aerosmith put out some really crappy records when Steven Tyler was at his bottom. So, um, you know, I, I think that people tend to, to think of like, it's like a wave. It's like, Okay, a band gets together. They're awesome. They're great. They're all fucked up. Okay, wait. Then they suck. Then they suck. And that's when they're all fucked up. Then they get sober and, you know, they put out some commercially successful albums. And people tend to think of like, yeah, I liked them better when they were fucked up. And they're, they're thinking of this time period, but they're forgetting about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. they're, they're forgetting about, uh, you know, Aerosmith's Done With Mirrors, which has some, has some good ge- gems to it. But it certainly isn't uh, rocks or... Uh, well, I mean, even look at like what uh, Joe Perry did with uh, "Let the Music Do the Talking." Yeah, at that yeah, point too. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's that. Uh, I think, you know, part of it too is once once you sober up, you also get smarter about your business as well. And, um, you know, when when you're doing music professionally, there's a little bit of a creative innocence that gets lost. So, for example, when I hear uh, a new song, 
uh, and it's with one of my peers. I'm listening to it thinking, you know, like, oh man, I wanted to use that producer or I wonder what plugins they're using or I wonder what, like, like you're really thinking about everything except for the creative song, you know what I mean? And I feel like um, when it comes to photography, my uh, musician photographer friends and I were not that critical of each other. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, I'll probably be way more critical of a Nikki Six song or a Randy Blythe song than I will be as photography. Like, cause I guess, cause we all kind of started around the same time and, and like we kind of allow ourselves to have that, that creative innocence, if you will, of yeah. like, like even if, if, if Randy or Nikki posted a, a photo that wasn't that good, I'd be like, well, Hey man, like, cool. Like you're, you're still trying and I, I get what you were going for or whatever. But if they posted a, a shitty song, I'd be all over <laughs> like, dude, that song sucks. <laughs> what, what exactly got you into photography? I was on tour with uh, Joan Jett, and um, I'll never forget, we, were, we played a place called Wendover, Nevada. And uh, you basically fly into Salt Lake, you drive an hour out on the Salt Flats to the middle of nowhere. Okay. Like, like you're driving across Salt Flats for an hour, you don't see a human being, a gas station, nothing. And uh, I got out there and check into the hotel, and the hotel was really strange in that it was like brand new, but it hadn't been changed since the 80s so in other words this place back in the 80s was a baller hotel room that nobody has stayed in okay. and it was very uh weird and the, the whole place was very uh hunter s thompson okay and you know we checked in and i had the whole day to myself and i had the whole day to myself the next day i don't drink i don't gamble and i'm like what the fuck am i gonna do to keep my sanity at a place like this. And then I looked at our schedule and we we're going to be back at that same place in six months. And I'm like, I'm going to go crazy if, if, if I'm in places like this all the time. And part of it too is, um, at that time I'd toured a lot of, uh, Europe and a lot of Asia with the murder dolls. We hadn't toured the States a lot. And it was my first time seeing the States, uh, that way in a long time. And so my wife had a, a, a Canon Rebel with a, a really good piece of glass with a, um, like a 2.8 uh, 16 to 24 lens. And so I was like, you know what? Like, I don't know, maybe I'll take a camera with me next time we come. And, and I did, because I was like, I always wanted to walk in the desert and I never have, so maybe I'll do that. So I took the camera with me and uh, lo and behold, I come to find out that Wendover is the place where the Enola Gay, the plane that dropped the A-bomb, yeah. This is where the pilots uh, test dropped what they call pumpkins. So okay. they were uh, fake bombs, you know, like duds, basically. Um, so they did that there. There were salt flats there, and there was all these abandoned buildings there and abandoned uh, army barracks, and that got me into it. I was, that's, uh, that's when I was like, all right, like with this free time, I can do some photography. So you're more... It seems, based on what I've seen of your photography as a whole, plus you know just what you were saying, it always seems like you kind of like more of the learning the the history of where you are and what is there uh -huh. uh, through almost an absence of people not being there. I yeah, mean, it seemed yeah. like you were intrigued by the hotel, which wasn't busy or hadn't really been used in probably a decade or two, and you're talking about salt flats where there's nobody, but there's still history of what was there at some point. It seems that there's a strong sense of that in your your work. I think I think there's that. Uh, I mean, there's there's a, a, a lot of sides to it. I mean, as far as the abandoned stuff goes, there there is a bit of honoring history. Uh, you know, I feel like we live in a culture where it's like 
tear it down and, and rebuild. There's that Eddie Izzard skit where he's like, you know, <laughs> Americans will take a building from the 1950s and tear it down and they'll build a brand new building that looks just like it did in the 1950s, you know? And uh, we definitely do that. So there's a little bit of that. There's also the element of, uh, you know, doing something illegal sometimes because it's trespassing. There's uh, also the feeling that you're on a horror movie set in a way. There, there's also the element of danger too because you could fall through the floor at any given moment. And uh, there's that side. When it comes to the street photography that I do, I think it's a, a, a bit deeper where I feel like these are people. I, I don't, yeah, I mean, tapping into that, I, th I think that these are people that everybody would rather forget. Do you know what I mean? People would rather forget the homeless. They'd rather forget the drug addicts. They'd rather forget our, our veterans. And uh, and I feel like by photographing them, I'm acknowledging that they're human. Absolutely. Kind of talking a little bit about the sobriety as well. You started, and timeline could be off a little bit, but started Dead Sled Coffee. Yeah, yeah. And as we're here in a coffee shop. Yes. Um, what made you want to get into the coffee business? Well, my friend Diana hit me up. Uh, I had a, a year off from touring. My books were, were pretty clear. My friend Diana hit me up. She said, listen, I got an idea. I don't know what you think of this, but I'm thinking about selling coffee out of a hearse. What do you think? And I said, <laughs> you go get the hearse. I'm going to start brewing coffee. Let's start today. <laughs> I was like, that's the best idea I've ever heard. And uh, then we, uh, we, we, we kind of calmed down a little bit. And it was like, all right, I'm not going to brew any coffee. Don't get the hearse yet. And so we kind of backed up a little bit and we figured, uh, we started uh, going over the finances for it and what it would cost to renovate a Hearst into a coffee truck. It just wasn't as economical as we thought. Uh, and then we backed it up a little bit and it was like, well, if we do this, we're going to want to sell our own coffee because that'll be more profitable than selling other people's coffee. So why don't we start an e-commerce store, an online store selling coffee? And the whole concept is that uh, a lot of good coffee has is served by very pretentious condescending individuals but they do have the best coffee they've got shit taste in music and they've got shit attitudes but they've got the best coffee damn it so what if we uh infused some good rock and roll with uh good attitudes some sarcasm and uh you know top quality coffee and a lot of our coffee all of our coffee is uh, arabica which is the better of the coffees out there but some of our coffee even falls into specialty coffee, which is certified as the top 20% of any coffee on the market. So when I've had people like, yeah, I don't think your coffee is that good. I'll be like, yeah, well, I have certification to prove <laughs> that you are wrong. It's, uh, it's been interesting. Like uh, one of the sponsors of the show is uh, a coffee company called um, The Bean Bastard. And it's the drummer from the band that dies today. He was an alcoholic and, you know, got sober and then this is kind of something that he became passionate about yeah, yeah roast his own coffee all that kind of stuff it's a very pretty much like a band thing a very diy business um but it's one of those things like kind of seeing how involved he got into it like you know when we went to buffalo which is where he lives and he's like got like you know these percolators and all this kind of shit and i'm like i don't really like i like i think the coffee is really good and i'm not big on coffee but there's been a couple of blends that I really like, and he's kind of like you were just saying, like, well, this is a, you know this kind of a bean, and this is how it gets yeah. made, and this is what we do to it, and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, it just tastes good, dude. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, I don't know how any exactly. of that affects what it's doing to what I have, but like, sure, it works. Exactly. It tastes good. You got a good yeah, product. Yeah. That's all that matters yeah. to me. So it is kind of funny to see how 
you know, in the, in the competitive world of craft cocktails, craft beer, I mean, we're literally across the street from founders and so forth, to see how inundated people have become in the culture of craft things, whether it be coffee, teas. Like, it's funny to see people get really anal about their, like, loose-leaf teas and the blends that they have, and you're just like, does it taste good? And they're like, well, this one wasn't as good as the last one. And you're like, okay, cool. Uh... That's all that really matters to me. I, I don't care like that you steeped it 19 times or any of that. It's so kind of funny shit. because I made a, I made a pot of coffee this morning and uh, it was some really really high quality coffee and I'd made it twice before. It's like man, I'm just not. And then today I was like, I nailed it. All right. But what do you know? What you did any differently? Yeah, than the last I, I, I put too many grinds in. Oh okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing. I didn't realize that. Yeah was yeah. Well, if your if your grind to water ratio is off. Oh okay. Yeah. Interesting. See, like there's there's. <laughs> but again, that's like like with Dead Sled, that was kind of our, our whole thing is like you don't have to be a, a nerd to appreciate our, our good coffee, you know. Like we, we – I don't want to say the word dumb it down, but it's like all you need to know is that it's great and that we've vetted it for you. Now on the next level, if there's people that want to nerd out on it, we can do that too. And that doesn't have to be in a pretentious way either. You know, I mean I did a, a cupping class years ago where um, – the, the person, uh, the, the, the people that were organizing the cupping were like, oh, what does it taste like to you? And, uh, and, and people were coming out with like these, these far out, uh, like, I don't know, it tastes like soy sauce. And they're kind of snickering and laughing. And it's like, yeah, but you know, the thing is, is maybe that is what it tastes yeah. like to you. Maybe that's what, you, what your palate dictates. And, the, and they, they were like, soy sauce. This has almond, you know, yeah. whatever. And it was like, dude, like, don't be shitty. Like, Maybe that's what it tastes like to them. Cool. Who cares? Maybe they like it. I don't know. What has been something, you know, because obviously I always find it interesting when, when band people want to go. It's already hard enough to, to get to a level in the music industry because, uh-huh. you know, you're, you're the 1% of the 1%, basically, yeah, yeah. if you're able to make a career out of it. But then it's like when someone's like, you know what? That wasn't hard enough. Let's go into the textile industry of making a clothing brand or, yeah, yeah. you know, some kind of a product, you know, in this case with coffee or whatever, or the bands that decide to do beer or wine or whatever. And it's always like, you know, something we've kind of hit on quite a bit on this podcast recently is just like, you know, when everyone gets into this thing, it was, I want to make music. I want to do this thing that I enjoy doing with my friends and it makes me feel good. And then what no one tells you is like, well, by the way, you're going to have to become a financial consultant. Uh Uh, You're going to have to learn how to, be a travel guide. Uh-huh. Uh, you're gonna have to be a mechanic. You're like, and all these ancillary things that you're just like, I don't know any of the any of this. But you have to learn if you want to sustain a career in any of these things. And I feel like you know, having grown up working in food and retail management quite a bit, that it's like I've learned how to do so much stuff that it's like my kind of DIY mentality goes against corporate structure every single time. Where it's like. Hey, trim 500 hours off this week, the day, the budget for hour or labor. And you're like, okay, well, what does this person make? Well, you can't tell you that. Well, how can I make an informed decision on what I need to cut if I don't know what people are making? And then you end up finding out, well, oh, this person's been working here 20 years. They're grandfathered in from a 20-year-ago thing where they're making almost triple time on a Sunday when I can get a person who works part-time and pay them $8 and get two of them. So I don't even have to give one of them a lunch or whatever. And then you make smarter financial decisions and so forth based on having knowledge. But it kind of makes me wonder, when you got into this coffee business and so forth, what is something that has happened along the way to where you felt very proud of everything you had to overcome to, to get to that level? Well, I mean, we, uh, 
we just vended at uh, a festival called The Bash, which was Rancid, Suicidal, uh, Pennywise, and L7 and Madball. And we vended at that. And I was pretty proud of that because we did that in a year. So there's been a lot of things that, that we've done in a year that a lot of uh, businesses don't get to do. That was definitely one of them where it was like, yeah, this rocks. This is cool, you know. I, I always use the word rewarding rather than like happy. People are like, oh, does a coffee company make you happy? It's like, no, it drives me freaking insane. <laughs> but, I, but, it, but I find it rewarding. You know, it's like every time an order goes through, I know where I know how that coffee was roasted. I watched those bags get designed. I I was involved in the process one way or another from the mo- moment that they place that order till the moment it goes into their cup, you know, and that I take a lot of pride in that. And I also never forget that, like, you know, while while I might have some big shows coming up and while I might be on tour now, like, I never forget that, like, you know, for the price of a cup of coffee, for some people, that's an hourly wage. Do you know what I mean? That means that that person had to wash dishes for an hour or they had to sweep a floor for an hour or they had to sit at a computer desk for an hour. And I never take that for granted, you know. So that, to me, is, is the most rewarding part of it. And I hope that that's something that people take away from Dead Sled is that I'm always remembering, like, right, somebody had to, to work an hour to buy this bag of cup of coffee, like it's uh, the, or this bag of coffee, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let it be crap, you know. It's maybe a question, just because I want to kind of put you on the spot. What is more rewarding to you, writing a good song that people will come up and tell you about, that what it means to them, or when people come up to you and, and talk about what your, how much they enjoy your coffee? That's a tough question. Um, because it seems like, because like I understand like when you write a song, obviously there's a lot that goes into it. There's the sure. cre- the collaboration and, and the creative process, but it seems like to me that there would be a little bit more very uniquely to you in the process of making something that you know the coffee. Well, you know, I hate to be cynical about it, and 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 I hope that nobody takes this the wrong way, but it, it's two things. Like on one hand, it's it's. I would say equal in different ways, though. Like with the coffee thing, it's a bit more, I don't want to say on the financial end, but financially on the whole. The fact that someone worked for it, the fact that they dug into their pocket, and the fact that it, that it, it came over into my account, that's very rewarding. With a song, it's rewarding on the emotional connection. Fair enough. I, as you were saying that, I was just like, huh, I wonder if there's like a, a difference in how you compartmentalize the reciprocation of someone telling you the giving you the accolades for either one. I mean, and I guess the difference too is that like it, it's a mutual reciprocation with the coffee thing because I have to, you know, we ship it out, we do all the designing, we do we, we do everything in house. So for the work that they're doing to get that bag of coffee, I'm doing it. That, that same work to get it to them. Um, whereas with a song, a song just always feels like fun to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, or not fun, but I mean, yeah, it's always fun, but there, there's always an emotional component to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kind of slowly and winding down, you know, something that's kind of interesting to me, you know, this, this whole tour is, no pun intended, steeped in uh, nostalgia. You know, 20 years of Static X, first record, uh, Dope's on the tour, you know, you guys are on 
I mean, I know you're not playing, like, a record from back then either, yeah, but, yeah. like, I mean, there's going to be the hits, obviously, from that. You got Wednesday 13, who kind of, you know, has been around for a long time as well, and Devil Driver, which are doing their uh, Cold Chamber songs and so forth. So it, it's very nostalgia-heavy tour for someone my age. And it kind of makes me wonder, you know, having some podcast friends who have made headlines from talking to Joey and Wednesday 13 about Murder Doll stuff, it kind of has made me wonder, is it interesting to you guys, especially since you're on the road with Wednesday 13 on this run, is it interesting to see how much fandom there still is for a band that really hasn't done anything in as long as you guys have and haven't even been like, you know, there are some bands that will be like, hey, we got, we, we hung out, you know, and kind of keep a social media presence going and so forth, but there's never been like a no tease of like, hey, we're writing something right now or hey, so-and-so. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's so crazy to see just the fanaticism of that band still uh, in, in conjunction to how little you've really done in the day and age of social media so far. What does that mean for you guys? I mean, I, I it doesn't surprise me at all, and I, I, there's one reason for that. I feel like there's only been one record that's come out in, you know, God, that record came out. Yeah, I guess it's going on 15, 20 years yeah. now. <laughs> There's one component in that record that I don't feel like I've seen in any record since then. And that one component is snot. That is such a snotty record. And I haven't heard anything that duplicates it. And so to me, I'm kind of not surprised because that Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls record, I, I, I don't think it's the best sounding record, but the attitude just seeps right through. There is so much attitude and political incorrectness in that record. And uh, so I'm kind of not surprised because it's like nobody else has done it. Do you feel like other than that, do you feel like a part of it outside of the nostalgia is just the fact that we don't, we are in an overly PC world that some people will look to that record as kind of an escape from the, the world that we have been inundated with now for the last probably 10 years or so yeah well there's that i think i think sometimes you can say something right so you know i guess the, the political correctness in some ways there's a lot of things that i very much like about that but on the other hand when it goes too far so for example if you uh you know if if if, if your friend does something that annoys you and you say God, I want to fucking kill you. Like, you almost can't say that these days. And and it doesn't mean that it's literal, you know? And I think that there's a cathartic release with that Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls record that is just saying everything that people are afraid to say these days. People are afraid to say half the shit that's on that record. And I think that that's what resonates with people, you know? I kind of had wondered in listening back, because I actually pulled my CD out of, of that record uh, earlier today and was listening to it. And it made me kind of wonder, you know, a band that I had long admired was this band Refused. The Refused. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. When, Shape of Punk to came, when Shape of Punk to Come came out, I found it shortly after the band broke up. Uh-huh. And the legacy of that band because of that record, basically putting out this genre-defying record that's timeless, absolutely timeless even still to this day, and being like, wow, this band was so far ahead of their time sure. and so forth. And then when they came back, it made me wonder, okay, they're doing this reunion show, and I went and saw it, and 
most of my friends had like way too much to drink and they they enjoyed the show in the moment mm-hmm. but have no real memories of the show whereas <laughs> i just couldn't afford to have drinks why would you do that <laughs> i'm kind of jealous because they got to live more in the moment which is sometimes you know you get a little self uh centered and you think people are gonna watch you doing something and then the next thing you know you're gonna be a meme or on someone's facebook or whatever yeah, yeah. but i remember you know Coincidentally enough, sitting next to or standing next to Jeff Tuttle, who was in Dylan Escape Plan at the time, and just watching this band, and, and like we were both just like, "This is fucking incredible!" And like I still have all the memories of it, and just feeling like I have to take this all in because I'm never going to see this band ever again. And now I have been fortunate enough to see them three times over the last since the reunion, and it's still kind of surprising to me. Like you know, they put out a record, and a lot of people didn't like it, but it's like you also had almost 20 years to f- to fall in love and really dissect the last record. So anything they put out would have fallen short in comparison at that point because yeah. the expectations were so high. Looking at the Murder Dolls record through that kind of lens, it makes me wonder if you were to put out a record, do you think fans would want it as much as they seem to? Or do you think the nostalgia and the longevity that they've had with Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls is so much that nothing would really be able to live up to that expectation? Well, I think much. I mean, I think that refused comparison is pretty good because that record, when they did that record, there was nothing and like it. It was terrible. No one liked it at the time. I think that record's great, though. No, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So, so but it to, wasn't fan the flames of discontent, so people didn't like it. Exactly. So, so I feel like they they it it would probably be a similar situation in some ways. I think where it's a little bit different though is that uh, you know we were the Murder Dolls was a band made up of personalities too, though. And I think that people would just be happy to see the, those personalities come back together again. Just because we're talking about it, and the fact that you're on tour with one of the cohorts in the band, do you guys ever talk about these things? Is there? Because it seems like everyone individually has has been asked, you know, if there's a new Murder Dolls record on the horizon. Whereas I think the question I would want to know is, do any of you actually want to do a new Murder Dolls record? Oh, I would love to, absolutely. You know, to me that that's like musically, that's the the uh, uh, unanswered question, if you will. Do you know what I mean? It was, uh, I feel like the story's incomplete, you know? But, uh, you know, the, the sad thing about Ben passing away is that, um, you know, it really cleared things up with Wednesday and I. We had kind of cleared things up anyway, uh, but with Eric as well. But now Joey's kind of off in his own world. So, I don't know, man. Um, all I know is that, that, that I had the best time of my life with those guys. And, you know, there's a saying you can't relive the – you don't, don't regret the past, but don't wish to relive it either. Like, I wouldn't want to relive it uh, those times. I'm a different person now, as is Wednesday and as is Joey. But I feel like we could c- continue, you know, kind of take off where, where we left off a bit. Uh, but I know, you know, so Wednesday and I have talked about a few different uh, options and things like that. Not at length. Uh, the main problem is with him right now. His new record is awesome. It's called Necrophase, and it's not not out yet. It's coming out soon, but it's so good. It's really really good, and I feel like he's hit like a creative stride. And uh, he's got a great label behind him. He's got a great band behind him. He's got a great team behind him, and he doesn't want to uh, distract anything from that. You know, I've got my own things going on right now, and and. And so does Joey. So I think it would have to just be at a time where everybody's schedules are cleared and we could kind of just focus on it. 
I think it's kind of interesting in the day and age where, you know, you look at some of these bands, you know, like I kind of look at, uh, I guess Them Crooked Vultures would kind of be a good example. You know, it's Dave Grohl, Josh Homme from Queens of Stone Age and uh, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking for a new that record or, you know, any of the projects that Josh or Dave kind of consistently offshoot into and so forth. And it's kind of interesting. It kind of seems like everyone's so busy with the main things they do or a lot of the things that they do that it just really comes down to almost being like, you know what? Let's fucking do it. Let's let's just look at our calendars and find that Venn diagram that's going to fit for all of us and just fucking do whatever in that short amount of time and do something. And I I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that's almost what needs to happen if Murder Dolls were to ever come back, that it just needs to be that, where it's just like all of you collectively go like, I know I'm busy, you're busy, you're busy. Let's just pull out a calendar, an iCalendar real quick on our phones, look at what we got. Hey, you know what? In 2021, I'm going to be free from like February to June. Let's do something then. And then just fucking do it. Commit, like, put it on paper and commit to it. And it seems like it seems like in this tech world that we live in, that's almost what stops anything from happening is just looking at a schedule and then just going, like, I'm going to do this now. And then when the time comes, you're happy that you blocked off the time, even though it seems like at the time you're like, oh, I could be doing so many other things that I've been also putting off. But I just feel like it's a matter of just everyone looking at a schedule and be like, we just need to do this. It's been so long now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question, what does the rest of this year hold for you? Ah, uh, well, we, do, th- this tour has been going amazing. Um, it's been awesome for uh, to get back together again, together again with everybody on this tour. I mean, it, it's been so much. I don't even say fun, but it's just been enjoyable. You know what I mean? It's uh, when people talk a lot about. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any interest in going to my high school reunions, really. Um, and I feel like this is kind of my high school reunion. I, I guess part of it was because I was so uh, kind of fucked up, you know, through my 20s. But also in high school, I mean, I'll, I'm doing what I always wanted to do in high school. So it's not like I can be like uh, like the uncle in um, Napoleon Dynamite where right. I'm thinking like, man, if I could have just been the quarterback and, you know throwing a piece of meat at people on bicycles <laughs> you know like like I don't I don't I don't I don't have that I, I've got I've got you know the the year that Wisconsin death trip and felons and revolutionaries was released so for me it, that was the year I achieved what I had wanted to do and uh you know so yeah this the, more dates with this I won't be able to do the uh the European and Australian run but there's going to be another North American run so many shows have sold out. It's been amazing to see people turning out. And it's so funny how many people, you know, it's like I've, I've been in and out of the band Dope for years now. But it's, I mean, we did our, our reunion tour two years ago, I guess. And and there's been people on this tour that have been like, oh, man, it's so good to see you guys back together. It's like, yeah, we were here two years ago. <laughs> like, where were you? Absolute last question. What is one of your favorite memories of Wayne? of Wayne ah that's a tough one because you know I guess just hanging out on the Static X bus because you know the dynamic was was this like the dope bus was a bit more the party bus and the Static bus was a little quieter and a little tamer and so I would kind of hang out with those guys a, a lot 
Um, so it's not just one thing, but probably just the joy of, of watching. It's, it's a little hard to explain, but it's like our albums came out around the same time. And, the, and there's something about your debut album coming out, and it's not like blowing up off of a single. Like you're going out there and you're earning it, and you're kind of watching your peers. You know, I played in this band, Amen. Uh, their album came out the same week as ours did, and it sold like a quarter of what ours sold. And we kind of knew it was over for them. And then we were watching Static, and their record came out. And so we were kind of rooting. You know, you're, you're kind of rooting for everybody because you kind of feel like, well, fuck, if, every, if, if those guys bomb, what's to say I'm not next, you know? So probably just watching their record blow up, really. I mean, and yeah, I can't think of one event in particular because Wayne was just kind of, you know, a, a nice, quiet guy, you know? Very Midwest of him. I mean, being from here in Michigan, about an hour... Half away ish. Yeah, from yeah. Montego. Yeah, he was just such a such a great guy. I mean, I can't I can't think of anything, any one event in particular because it wasn't like he was Tommy Lee where I could say, <laughs> yeah, you know, he snorted ants out of a uh, urinal one time because he wasn't that guy. He was just a, a very nice, pleasant guy and extremely talented. And, man, I remember listening to that. We would get off tour and I would listen to Wisconsin Death Trip. So, yeah. Well, thank you for the time, and uh, looking forward to the show tonight. And uh, congratulations on uh, just everything. I mean, and, uh, like I said, listening to a couple of podcasts you've been on, it's been uh, really cool to hear. Some people, when they talk about their sobriety, it's very preachy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and very kind of condemning uh, of other people's lifestyle choices yeah. and so forth. And it's been kind of refreshing to, to not hear that from you to hear kind of like you know this just didn't work for me and like you know something a common sentiment a handful of people have said to me is like you know like the friend i was talking about earlier that is in the coffee business he's like i don't understand people like you who can go out and like have like one drink with dinner and then like you're done well if it was fun i'd still be doing it right that's the truth you know and and one thing that uh that 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 i'm notorious for is kind of like I, d- I don't party anymore, but I love lighting the fuse and then running. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there's been a lot of nights where I'm the one pouring pouring the shots for the other guys and handing them beers and being like, "Ooh, let me see what happens when I add a little bit of gasoline to this fire." Oh shit, it's blowing up. I'm gonna go back to my room. <laughs> hey man, did you hear what happened last night? No, tell me, cause I'm not in trouble. I'll tell you a funny story. So when uh, when I was in the Murder Dolls, um, we played Zagreb, Croatia, okay? And uh, we went out. Our record company took us out. And I don't know why, but we ended up at a biker bar. But I mean, not a biker bar, but like, like, like a biker clubhouse, right? We got there, and everybody got drunk, and... Um, one of the, 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 the club leaders' girlfriends was following me around, and so we ended up leaving. We get back to the hotel, and we were on tour with Iron Maiden. Well, Croatia, I think, had only been a country for uh, a couple of years at that time. So we're staying at the nicest hotel, but the nicest hotel in Croatia doesn't have air conditioning. We get back to the hotel. Everybody's shit-faced except me. And they decide it's hot, so they're going to try and spray down the hallways with the the water from... Like, they didn't have fire extinguishers. They had fire hoses. So they decided to pull the fire hoses out. That Those didn't work. We go back to the room. The bus is down below. But because there's no air conditioning, all every, everybody in the building's got their windows open, right? So me and Wednesday are in one room. Ben and Eric are in the room next to us. 
And I hear all this yelling, like, out, out the window. And I stick my head out. And I go, dude, will you guys just shut up? And what it was was Ben was yelling down to the guys on the bus, like, yeah, bring up some more booze, you know? And um, with that, he, he, someone down below goes, ah, will you guys shut the fuck up? And I stick my head, and I'm like, dude, be quiet. And he goes, yeah, hey, why don't you, Ben goes, hey, why don't you shut up? And he throws a plastic bottle at me. This plastic bottle hits my window, tumbles down into the window below us. Okay, well, it's kind of the end of the night, right? I wake up the next morning, I go down to the lobby, and everybody's, like, livid. And I'm like, what's going on? And like, well, we just got kicked off the Iron Maiden tour. I'm like, why? And they're like, well... Do you remember when Ben was yelling last night and we were throwing shit? And I'm like, you were throwing shit. Not we were throwing shit. You were throwing shit. Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, apparently it was Iron Maiden's wardrobe girl that was below us telling everybody to shut up. She thought that the water bottle got thrown at her. She embellished the story and said it was a glass bottle, which it wasn't. And that turned into us throwing bottles at the merch girl, which wasn't exactly what happened. So Joey tells me the story, and then our tour manager walks over, and he goes, yeah, well, as if that wasn't enough, what you did too. And Joey's like, well, I didn't do anything. I'm like, you don't remember what you did? And he goes, no. And uh, our tour manager says, yeah, you pissed all over Iron Maiden's bus. And he's like, I did? And at that time, everybody was paranoid about music bootlegging. So Iron Maiden had a bus following them where they would play the record on the bus for all the press. And it was wrapped in all the Iron Maiden stuff. Well, Joey was just drunk and taking a piss. He didn't realize it was Iron Maiden's bus. However, Iron Maiden saw him pissing on their bus. So, because I'm the guy that doesn't party, I was the guy that had to go and apologize to Iron Maiden. And I had to go into town and I had to buy roses for Iron Maiden's merch girl. And I had to go to a photocopy place and print out signs that said... On behalf of all of the Murder Dolls, we would like to apologize to the entire Iron Maiden band and crew and tape them all over the backstage area, apologize to the merch girl, and then and only then were we allowed to finish the tour. And I didn't even do anything. <laughs> A memoir by AC Slade. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time and, again, looking forward sure. to the show tonight. Well, thank you for listening to my weird stories. So that was my conversation with AC Slade of Dope and Murder Dolls. Uh, on the murder dolls front, got a lot of a lot of news there. Yeah, considering I thought that they were kind of not a band anymore. No, what's kind of funny is uh, Toomey over at the Talk to Me podcast has had both Joey Jordanson and Wednesday Thirteen on, and uh, when he's had both of them on, you know, he's kind of asked you know anything going on on the murder dolls front, and I didn't want to just ask that um, because something that I've kind of thought is interesting, and, and when Toomey has brought that up, and, and seeing so many fans on on Blabbermouth and, and Lambgoat and like all these news sites that ended up picking up on that, you know, like I said earlier in the intro, is just the fanaticism that is still surrounding this band. But kind of thinking about how like legitimately they only have like a record out that has satiated fans for 15 years, and it really does remind me of the Shape of Punk to Come by Refused, where it's like, is it a case where those because that record was not well received initially, and I'm not saying the Murder Dolls record was not. It was the exact, exact opposite of that. But the fact of the matter is, has that record grown to such a fever pitch where there is nothing that that band could release, regardless of how great it really is, that would live up to the expectation that is on the band at this point to put out something new because of having 15 years' worth of expectations from Beyond the, Ver Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls? It's rough. I mean, I think it's the same. Not that I'm comparing the two bands, but it's kind of like this deal with the whole Tool situation. 
where you know yeah expectations are so high and i you know it's a it's a for a band like the murder dolls it's a really great and a really shitty position to be in because realistically there is such a fever pitch like there's there's so many fans that are just waiting to have that itch scratched so to speak that it's kind of like Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. It's going to do really, really well, even if it's a piece of shit. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be a piece of shit. Like, I want to say that. I don't I, I don't think that the new Tool album is going to be a piece of shit either. Or is that out already? I bet people that pre-ordered it probably have it. I think it comes out. I think it's Friday. It comes out on Friday. Friday. Okay, cool. So we actually halted a discography discussion on Tool just to wait for the new album. So um, that's looking forward to that in 13 weeks. Oh my god, that's going to be rough. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think I, I think you're right. I think they're gonna they're gonna really struggle to meet fan expectations. And the best thing that they can do is just not give a fuck about any of that. Well, I don't think they will. But I mean, look at I mean the thing at least with Refused, and that's why they were the band I chose is because no one thought they were going to get back together. Then they did. You know, I think 15 years later after the Shape of Punk to Come came out, and then they put out Electra, and to me, I think it's a great record. I think it's the natural progression of what I think a refused record would sound like in 2018. Going back to, we talked about this on the last episode with Hang From Hell, you know, you had talked about on your discography discussion episode with uh, Diamond Head about how they were making records that weren't for the time that they were in. And I think, for all accounts, Refuse did very well at not trying to recreate Shape of Punk to Come, which I think would have been bad. And created something that sounds like a record they probably would make in 20... I think they came out in 2016. You know, so in a record that would come out in 2016. And I think it was just as diverse as Shape of Punk to Come was. But because people... And again, going back to the fact that Shape of Punk to Come wasn't a success when it came out. People hated it because it wasn't Fan the Flames of Discontent. It wasn't more of a straight-ahead hardcore record. So therefore, people hated that record for all the, the ambitiousness that was recorded. And so I think what's funny is all these years later, everyone loves and lauds that record for it being that. But it slams Elektra for doing the same thing in a different kind of sense. And so I think that's where... I would worry that as a, as fans of Murder Dolls that they just would be like, well, it's not beyond the valley of the Murder Dolls. And it's like, well, no shit. That was like us as people 20 years ago almost. We're not those people. So we're trying to create something that is in that same spirit, but now. And I don't I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if fans will will have aged with them for that idea or that concept if they choose to make something. But I think I would be interested in it because I do kind of agree. And like I said, listening back to that record, I do agree with AC. I think it has a little bit of that bratty, snotty, like teen kind of vibe to it where it's just like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. We're going to say all these things because who cares? Who gives a shit? And if you don't like it, fuck you. And that's the kind of vibe that that record has. And I I like it because of that. I just don't know that that translates, if that would translate as well all these years later. Maybe it would have more like adult snottiness to it. Yeah. I, I don't know what that would sound like. I don't have a, a, a band I can reference that does that. But I'm intrigued, to say the least, if something happens. Uh, at the very least, I was very amused uh, at the Joey Jordanson pissing on Iron Maiden's bus story. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> totally out of left field, but amazing nonetheless. 
The fact that it came out of nowhere and that's literally how the conversation ended, I was like, I, I can't think of a better way to <laughs> to end this. Totally, totally. Oh, man. You want to take any bets on if that'll end up on some news headlines? Dude, I think that would be amazing. It's got to be right. It's got to be right up there with that time that Marilyn Manson was like, "I used to shit in Corn's food." Oh yeah, I forgot. About, <laughs> I forgot about that. And and that that's hilarious because so Rob, him and Rob Zombie are getting interviewed at the same time, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so they're just casually talking, and and the interviewer mentions Corn, and then uh, fucking. Marilyn Manson just casually goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I used to shit in their food before it was taken to them. He's like, all right, rub my balls on it and stuff. And Rob Zombie just gets real serious and, like, kind of looks at him and is like, dude, like, what? (laughs) Like, it was, like, I've never seen, because you got Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson sitting next to each other, and they're both shock rockers. They're both, you know, there's nothing you're going to ever say that's going to just catch one of them off guard. But goddamn, if Marilyn Manson didn't totally take Rob Zombie by surprise on that. Like, Rob looks at him like, what? What? Hopefully you're not shitting on my food. What the fuck, dude? How many times have you rubbed your balls on my food? (laughs) I mean, that's like, have you seen that Jacoby Shaddix uh, video that's popped up for the uh, Last Resort, the gay version or whatever? No. No? No. Oh, my God. My wife even saw that before I did, so I figured you had to have seen it. But regardless, I guess if you're listening to this, if I keep this in here, uh, go check that out uh, for an interesting, like, holy shit, I can't believe someone's saying this in fucking 2019. Uh, is what it is. Um, all that aside, I'm, uh, in wrapping up, I'm uh, hoping I'm hoping the Murder Dolls collectively can all get their shit together, get in a room together, put out something, even if it's an EP. I think... Uh, I think it'd be cool just to, to see what they have in store uh, if they could have continued on and can continue on. Um, I know everyone's obviously very busy with the various things they're doing, but it's uh, there's a lot on the horizon for them. And obviously with the second leg of the Static X Dope Tour, uh, obviously that's going to keep AC busy. Um, I don't know if he... Obviously the Misfits shows as well. Um, so, I mean, he's going to be a very busy dude. Uh, if you would like to keep up with AC, you can find him on Facebook at official AC Slade, Instagram at AC Slade and Twitter at AC Slade one. Uh, if you would like to keep up with this coffee company, you can check them out at deadsledcoffee.com. That's S L E D D coffee.com. Uh, if you would like to keep up with metal Nexus, you can find them at metalnexus.net, Facebook at metal Nexus, Instagram at metal.nexus and Twitter at metal underscore Nexus. And Dan will tell you where he can be found. I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry. You can be found on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan. You can send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. And you can always hear me shitting on your favorite band on my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find it simply enough at Brew Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Head over to YouTube, and you can actually see this interview be done at the coffee shop where AC and I were. Uh, full disclosure, it's the unedited version, so uh, I think I took about maybe 15 minutes out of this uh, that you heard from here. Uh, so if you'd like to hear this without the intros, outros, all that kind of stuff, and actually see what AC looks like when he's uh, you know, being talked to for an hour, uh, go over there. Check it out. And if you would like to keep up with our sponsor, 
You can head over to TheBeanBastard.com, get you some coffee. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at TheBeanBastard. And if you would like to support us monetarily, you can go to Patreon.com slash BrewSpeakPod. Check out our options for tiers over there to support us. If you would like to support us non-monetarily, you can rate us, review, subscribe. However you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure there is a feature on this uh, device, this app, this whatever, that will allow you to do such a thing. I uh, would be greatly appreciated. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time. For our 200th episode.